Good morning. My name is David, uh, most famously known as Yvonne's husband. I think Yvonne is a much more common known person here than I am. And uh, I'm a bit nervous, so you will bear with me. It's my very first time. So when you see me making mistakes, <laughs> if I make some blunders here and there, bear with me, and uh, we will continue from there. So uh, we'll, today we are going to be talking about the effect of the gospel, so the gospel effect, and we'll pick it up from where Sean left off last time, and he was talking about how Paul and Silas had been put in jail, and how they used that as an opportunity to minister to the jailer. And uh, the jailer and his entire family gave their lives to Christ and they were baptized. Yes. And we are going to be doing baptism later on today. And it's amazing how God has moved in very many different ways in all this throughout all of modern history uh, in our time, in his times. And it's just amazing to see we are part of this great, magnificent story. And today we are going to move into chapter uh, 17 from verse 1 to 9. Yes, part of my blunders is I forgot to give Bob the sermon scripture. So I'll just read it myself. <laughs> um, uh, but before I get into that, uh, this is the part where now Paul has left Philippi and they're going to Thessalonica. And they pass by two other small towns, which they don't spend much time there. And they go all the way to Thessalonica, and that's where they will be, uh, will be talking into. When they're in Thessalonica, they're there for quite a while, but they also end up living in a rush, which we'll talk about later on. And uh, the distance between Philippi and Thessalonica is 160 uh, kilometers. Now, back then, right now, it would be a very short trip for me and my bike. It will be an okay trip for a car. Uh, it would not be so comfortable to walk or ride a donkey that long. We know donkeys are not known for their speed, neither are they known for their comfort. So it is not a fun journey to go from Philippi to Thessalonica. Yet they did it, and they did very many more journeys. And if you look at the map and see Paul's first journey and his second journey, and you see the trips they had to do, uh, it will amaze you as to how they did all that. But then I digress. So I'll go into the scripture. Uh, first Thessalonica, uh, sorry, book of Acts chapter 17 from verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through um, Amphipolis and Apolline, Apolline, hey, that one, they came to Thessalonica <laughs> where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath Sundays, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas and order, in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did this, but, but, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world. They have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. 
they are all defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others pay post bond and let them go. Let us pray. Our Lord and King, as we get to listen to your word, as you speak to us, we pray, Lord, that you will open up our hearts and our ears that we may hear. And beyond that, that you will open us up to be able to do and not just hear, but act according to your word, O oh Lord. Inspire us and minister to us. Help us to help me to move out of the way that you may be able to speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, I just talked about the brief, brief background on where we came from, where we are, and now we'll go into where we're going. So we're going to be talking about the gospel effect. And this will be mainly focused on the effect of the gospel, effect of us sharing the gospel of truth. There will be two sides to this coin. There's definitely the good news that comes with sharing the gospel, but there's the suffering and pain that comes more often with sharing the gospel. And as a believer, it is good for us to be aware of these both sides and see how the good outweighs any pain or any suffering that could come with the gospel. And now, uh, Paul spent three Sabbaths, that should be three Sundays, as it was accustomed, uh, he'd always go to a place and look for the synagogue. He's like, where's the synagogue? Let's go there and share the gospel. And he'd sit down and have friendly discussions uh, with the members uh, of the synagogue. And he'd bring out scriptures and he'd argue out why we are speaking that Jesus is the Messiah. He talked about instances in the Old Testament and how Christ fulfilled all this scripture. Take them all the way to say that Jesus who was crucified is the Messiah. And just by that, in this instance, we don't see him performing miracles. In other places, they'd go and walk into somewhere, especially people like Peter. They walk in into the marketplace and he's walking around and he's like, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I will give to you. Rise up and walk. And somebody who has been lame their whole life rises up and walks and people are like, whoa, by what powers do they do this? Then he tells them, it is by Jesus whom you crucified. And people are like, yes, that is the Messiah. And they're like, whoa, we are going to fall all this Jesus and people are sold out and they give their lives to Christ and they get baptized and they are passionate about the gospel. Here's something different. This guy comes, sits down and starts talking to people. And now anybody who would know who Paul is, they'd be like, wait, weren't you the same guy who was persecuting these guys and putting them in jail and fighting them for what they speak? How come you come to tell us the same things? But nonetheless, they say, okay, you tell us. Let's see what you have. And the guy would lay down scripture and he'd talk about the Bible. He'd talk about Christ and his life and his ministry and why he had to suffer. And because of that, we get eternal life. People are like, wow, that is quite something. And while we were singing, uh, this verse stood out for me. And I'd want to read it out again for us. Hopefully I can spot it. Yes, there it is. Let me just read it out. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, 
that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one to bring many sons to glory. That in itself, thinking about it, and it's like it took this for Christ to the point where God had to turn his face because of the pain and the anguish and the guilt of sin upon Christ. All this to make a wretched his treasure. And he'd share that to the people. And Paul would break it down and tell them all this happened out of love. It may not be the king they were expecting because they were expecting a king who'd come. The, Jew, the Jewish were like, I want, I'm waiting for the king. And the king they were waiting for was a military ruler. They were waiting for somebody to come and take over and change everything. Come lead an army. And it's like, this is God coming to lead us into victory and into freedom. They thought of a man greater than David who conquered very many battles. They think of Samson and they're like somebody much stronger than Samson. And that is the Messiah we await. And they were like, yes. Yet something different comes. And he tells them, this is the guy you guys crucified. He was crucified, he died, and he rose again. And that is the king of kings. That is the Messiah. And you thought he was coming to save you from the colonialism of uh, the Roman Empire? No. That wasn't his main goal. He was coming to save you from something much bigger, something much deeper, something much more dire. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. That is what he has come to deal with. And after he shared the truth of the gospel, Christ came and talked to them. Uh, sorry, at Christ. Wait, Paul. My bad. My bad. So as he was sharing this truth to them, uh, it seemed like he turned things upside down. He's flipped the script on them. And uh, I quoted a famous rapper. There's a, this famous Kenyan rapper who talked about how the world is upside down. We just don't know it because it's round. Thus, you wouldn't know it's actually upside down. But things have been upside down. For a very long time, things have been upside down. And here Christ comes and turns things right side up. And it will ruffle some feathers down the line. But those who see it, those who are able to experience it, see something different. My call to you is, how comfortable are we with being able to share the truth of the gospel? Christ died, crucified, and resurrected. That brings about salvation and the forgiveness of sin. The sin that separates us from God and him paying the debt so that we are his treasure. How comfortable are we with sharing that? How willing are we to give that message to other people? And as you can see when Paul shared this, there was one response he got from people. In verse 4, he talks about how many God-fearing Greeks believed this message. And that is the effect of the gospel. 
the response to this God-loving, God-fearing Greeks was they believed. Some Jews were convinced and they believed. Some prominent women in Thessalonica also heard about it and they're like, hmm, interesting. They believed. Some prominent women like the new governors we have within our country. And they're like, hmm, that's some good news. We'd love to believe that. And they get to follow Christ. That was great. That was big. That was mighty. To bring things more closer home. Not in the past in the Salonica. Much closer to our history. Uh, I don't know if any of you know Mordecai Ham. I don't think people know him. Yeah, I see the blank faces. You probably don't know him. It is very okay. I also didn't know him. So, now, Mordecai Ham was a Baptist preacher who would preach from the 1901, there about, to passed on in the 1961, there about. So, he was a Baptist preacher. And as he was preaching, uh, he went for a meeting. Uh, he was from Kentucky. So, he went for a meeting somewhere, and guys had gathered to hear the gospel. And there were two teenagers, two young 16-year-old boys, who came for that meeting. And when he's preaching, they didn't want to be at the front where he can see them. So they were hiding behind. And the guy preached the gospel with so much fire and energy. And when he was talking about people giving their lives to Christ, and he said, who would like to give their lives to Christ? Those two teenager boys were convinced. This boy and his friend came and gave their lives to Christ at 16 years old. And we may not think much of it, but one of those young boys was the great evangelist Billy Graham. And out of a 16-year-old boy hearing some random guy we don't know preach, he gave his life to Christ. And how many lives have been changed by that one person? Countless. Now, let me bring it much closer home. You and me. Somebody came and shared the gospel with you and with me. And we believed. And we got baptized as some are getting baptized today and even gave their testimonies of their salvation story. This is a life that has been changed for all eternity. You've not been saved from a debt that you could repay. You've not been saved from a debt where the auctioneers will come and sweep your house and clean everything and that's it. You've been saved from one debt you could never repay. And the consequences of that was eternal separation from God. As a human, I do not understand the concept of eternal clearly. We do not perceive how eternal looks like. We just know it doesn't end. And that could never be paid. Yet Christ did it for us. And I will stand confidently and say that is the greatest miracle of all times. Raising from people from the dead is great. It's awesome. But to some extent, it's temporary. Being healed from being sick, it's amazing. It's good that we can get healed and we celebrate and rejoice it. But this body will still wither away. 
getting a miracle. Uh, I got a miracle of getting a, a bike. And I am very excited. I ride motorbikes for that matter. So I was very excited about it. But at the end of the day, at some point, it will either break down and never work again, or I'll probably sell it. <laughs> it's not eternal. But salvation is the one thing that is eternal from this life into the next life. And that is great. That is crazy. Big news. And imagine having an opportunity to share that with someone. Being able to be used by God to give somebody a chance to receive eternal life. Nothing can compare to it. That is why Christ would go on the cross looking at each and every one of us and seeing these people will receive and will be saved and it's like it is worth every single pain. Is it worth it for you? Do you feel it passionate enough? Do you feel the kind of love for others that would lead you out of your comfort zone to share the gospel? That is what made Paul leave uh, Philippi after being in prison and getting out of jail and come to Thessalonica to do the exact same thing that got him in trouble in Philippi. And not just him. I was telling Cephas, if you read through the book of Acts, it's about jail, out, jail, out, uh, beatings, jail, out, death, stoning, jail, out. As in, that's it. As you, it will be about getting into jail, getting out of jail, being stoned, being beaten up, being persecuted. It's just that. And sharing the gospel. Why would these people keep doing this thing? There's love. There is the costs. That is so great. The, consequence, the, the repercussions and the response to the gospel is so great that nothing deterred them. And I hope the same can be said about us that nothing will deter us from sharing the gospel. And because things will not go, always go as planned. So I came with the good news and my friend uh, Cliff will share the bad side of the news. <laughs> Give a hand to Cliff as he comes up and he will share. <laughs> he will share the not so good news <laughs> and also help you out in that. Thank you very much. Uh, I was hoping you could end there and just charge me over because I felt like he did a great job and I'm like, I can't be bringing bad news to people. <laughs> Why should I be the one? But thank you, Davey, for that spirited uh, beginning. Uh, actually, Davey was my best man in my wedding, so it was an honor and a privilege just to share the word with him. So um, I'd like to begin with a story. So one day, Peter comes uh, to earth and he meets uh, a guy. What do you call this guy? We can call him, he's Taylor around. We can call him Taylor, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Taylor. <laughs> yes, you can call him Taylor. So he comes to Taylor and tells him, today is your, it's a great day. Huh? Today, it's good news. Today, God has given me the permission to tell you, you're able to choose whether to go to hell or to heaven. So you're going to go scout, see how heaven looks. You're going to go to hell, see how hell looks. Then you're going to come back and going to make your choice. Um, so they go to an elevator. Uh, St. Peter's opened the door. And the first thing, there's always, okay, normally hell is down, right? 
So there's only two floors, up and down. <laughs> so um, Taylor, in curiosity, says, I've heard about hell a lot. I really want to see <laughs> what the first is about this hell. Like, I, re I really need to know. So they go down first. And the moment, the moment the doors open, it's people enjoying themselves. People in white robes, enjoying, having a good time, just sitting around, chilling. And there's this guy in a white suit looking so nice, talking so well. He welcomed him and said, oh, this is a great place. Um, have free, feel around. Yeah, just do whatever you want. Like, it's good. And the guy was like, this is not hell. I mean, what I've had, I was expecting some guy with the horns and the tail, with the pitchfork, guys screaming. and say, if this is hell, I wonder how heaven is like. So they go back to the elevator and they go to heaven. They get to heaven and it's like they see, oh, it's, yeah, the, the, the gold, the pathways with gold and God is there with all his glory. And it's like, okay, it's like what I, I was told. So they come back to earth. And Peter gives him seven days to think about it. The guy goes back, and within three days, he's like, I have my answer, Peter. I don't need to wait. <laughs> I know where I'm going. And he says, where are you going? To hell. And he goes to hell. And the doors open. And he looks, and he's like, okay. It's a desert place. People are screaming. They're wailing. They're complaining. Then he sees this guy with horns and wondering, who is this guy? <laughs> Am I in the wrong place? And he taps him and he says, excuse me, um, I was here a few days ago and I think I'm in the wrong floor. Could you tell me where hell is? And the guy's like, oh, you're here. Welcome, Taylor. We've been expecting you. Good that you're here. Uh, now it's time to start your stay here. We are so glad you came. And says, like, what happened? I was here like three days ago. And like, oh, that day we were campaigning. So, <laughs> so there's nothing towards the, the story about this sermon. <laughs> I was just trying to get my composure just to start my sermon. So we come to the point where now I'm supposed to give the bad news. And the first thing is... Uh, Throughout the Bible, we see God really putting an emphasis on, not even an emphasis, but mentioning how people went through um, resistance. Some of it because of what they believed in, some of it just being by, by what they were spreading, and some of it just by just living and believing in the true God. And you can, you can actually remember Shadrach, um, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't know if it's a Bednego or a, the way you'd pronounce it, and Daniel, those guys were just living their life under Nebuchadnezzar, and people felt like these guys with their faith, there's something that was unsettling for them that they had to test them. And for, for them, they had to be to face this resistance. In the New Testament, Jesus comes and says in John 15, I don't know if it's up in the scripture, but Jesus explains that we should expect this resistance even in our own lives, even as we preach the gospel. And he points it out, they say, they will hate you because they hated me first. So in that, as uh, David started by saying, there's an impact of people responding to the gospel. 
But there's also the other side that Jesus points out that you will face resistance. You will face opposition for what you're preaching or for what you're living. And we see that even in the, in the beginning, as, as David has said. It's just a series of prison break. And this is another season of another prison that they were breaking out of. And even in Paul at the beginning, even at the beginning of Paul's mission, God says to Ananias, anoint, uh, I'm going to send you to anoint Paul. Because what's going to happen is, this guy is going to face resistance for my name's sake. So resistance is expected. People will judge you. People will hate you. People will persecute you. People will give false testimonies just because um, you're a follower of Christ. And why is this so? Uh, I don't know if you've been uh, following some of the Supreme Court uh, hearings in the U.S. And one of them was really prominent that came out was about this coach Kennedy, who was just going into the middle of the field after every game, kneeling down and praying. That's all. And for four years, this guy used to do this consistently. And what came out was that after four years, some, someone just saw it and he said, um, approached the school and he said, you guys have a good program because it usually brought the kids together, usually brought the, the players, even the players from the other side. And they used to join this guy in the middle of the field after every game. And they would just kneel down and pray for 30 seconds, nothing more. And the compliment, when the, when the compliment reached the school, the guy in the school was unsettled to the point that they actually fired this guy, actually suspended the guy because of what he was doing. And it's just a simple thing of just kneeling down and praying. How much more do we see in the Jews in this, in, in this chapter that Paul was just going three Sundays, just teaching the word, nothing more, just as David said, just talking to, to guys and saying, hey, I, got, I have great news for you. There's, there's a guy who died for you. There's a guy who is, who's come to earth to redeem us. And the first thing, after the three Sundays, the first impact is people received Christ. But the next thing that comes is that these Jews come and wrestle with, 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 with Paul. Unfortunately, they didn't find Paul, but they found Jason. And they heaped accusation against Jason. And it's interesting to see that it is not the Gentiles, it is not the Greeks, the idol worshippers who start these riots. It's people who we'd call people in church. So definitely, this should show us that even though some of the resistance might come from the people, the unsaved people, we should expect even some of the people in church to resist. And why is this so? Why, why the whole fuss about just kneeling down in prayer? Why the whole fuss about just coming to talk to someone and telling them, hey, there's this guy, a friend of mine you should know. Why, why is the fuss about it? And the truth is, the truth of the gospel, the impact of the gospel, it's unsettling for some people because it upsets the status quo. As it's pointed out in, in, in this chapter, that the Jews accused uh, Paul, Silas, and Jason that they were turning things upside down. As David said, we've lived in a situation, in a society that it's upside down and we do not notice. And for us Christians, it is our prerogative to turn things around in society, to turn things around in our workplace, in our schools, in our relationships, in our careers and business. To, it, it shouldn't be business as usual. And the question remains, 
are we actually upsetting the societal norms? Is it, is, if Taylor <laughs> in your business, can someone say actually things are different because Taylor is around, things are different because Cephas is around <laughs> and is doing things differently? Are we in that position or are we too comfortable in our comfort and securities and just coming to church and just sitting and just saying, praise God and eating chai and mandazi and we go back home and you're like, that's, that's church for me. Are we, are we that comfortable just to let things be? Are we, or all these things, you feel that all these things, for some of us, we feel like they, they, the, the interests, the, the securities, the positions that we have are threatened by us really taking the gospel seriously and reaching out to people, changing lives, and changing even the social norms in our society. That question remains unanswered. You should ask yourself, as an individual, as a, as a person who is dating, are you willing to risk <laughs> losing uh, a partner just because of what you stand? Are, are you willing to risk losing your job? Are you willing to risk in these days? Uh, as you know, those days were mostly persecution and actually some death. In these days, it's facing mockery. Are you willing to be to be to say I'm, I'm not I'm not ashamed and to be mocked just because you believe in Christ? The stakes are too high for us to just sit on the sides and do nothing. They're way too high. If you think about it, if it were your son, if it were your brother, one thing uh, Cephas uh, said, it's like we should be preaching as dying men, preaching to dying men. Like if this was a la your last words, what would you say? If this was the last word, what would you say to your dying brother, to your dying son, to your dying parent? It's the stakes are too high to just sit quiet in our comfortableness. There's one person who understood this, the stakes, that he came down, left his throne, left his comfort, left all the gold houses, came down, took a beating, took insults, so that you and I can be redeemed and can be saved. And this is a great miracle that David mentioned. This is a great um, testimony that we have, that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And for that great news, I cannot sit comfortable on my own and receive this great news and just sit. I need to share it. I need to tell people of this great friend, of this great father, of this great brother that has helped me through and is helping me through. That should motivate us to preach the gospel to people, to leave our insecurities and upset the status quo. And it's something that we, we, we should note that it's not by our strength that we change lives, that this impact come. It's actually by the grace of God. Even with that opposition that he faced in starting this church in Thessalonica, we see in the later letters of Paul in Thessalonians, congratulating these people that have stood fast. They could have not done it within three Sundays. So it can only be that the power of God is the one that changes lives, is the one that holds lives in, intact in the faith. And what we have to do is just preach it and tell the good news. 
if you're here and you're not saved, this life will give you some <laughs> resistance, whether you like it or not. If you haven't gotten any resistance, just wait for it. Just keep living. It will come. It's better. We, we, ask yourself, is it better to face this resistance living in Christ or is it better to face this resistance not knowing the grace that is abound under the cross? It is better to live knowing Christ will give me the strength, knowing Christ will help me through, knowing Christ is the one who gives me the grace to live because it's him to live. And when we face opposition, we say, even if I die, to die is gain. To live is Christ. May God bless you. Yes.